You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. All right, let's pray this morning. God, we thank you that you are faithful and good. We thank you that even in the midst of these storms, um, I, I think I don't I don't think we lost any lives here. I, and if it was, there was just it was only a few people. But Lord, if there was any loss, we just pray for those families, Lord, that you would bring them comfort. Um, but we definitely know the emotional, psychological toll of businesses lost and having to rebuild and homes filled with mud and water. Um, God, we just pray that you and your compassion and your grace and your goodness can help this community come together to help people rebuild. God, speaking of community, um, this morning I ask that you would help me talk about this entity called church, ecclesia, community of faith, that we all collectively, including myself, have sort of a mm, conflicted relationship with, shall we say. And so, Lord, help us to hear from Jesus himself about this, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a free-range Christian. I'll put that up on the screen. I'm a free-range Christian. That's what a guy said to me when we were doing introductions in a Connect class, which I was just announcing a minute ago. I I was teaching this Connect class, it was years ago, and I think, I don't know how I introduced the, the introductions, I think I was asking people in the class something like, have you ever had a church experience before, what has been your previous church experience? It was some question sort of like that, and his answer, I'm a free-range Christian. And when they said that, I immediately understood exactly what he meant. To be a free-range supermarket chicken, right? We know is that that means that you will be able to be raised in the most natural conditions with freedom of movement before the end of your life, and then you're under cellophane on a supermarket counter. But that's what free-range means. And so to be a free-range Christian is to live your faith in the way that is the most natural to you in your natural habitat with the widest range of freedom of movement in your faith journey. It is also as I've had many conversations with people, it's also a state of having huge misgivings about any organizing, structural, and for sure institutional elements that might be included in living your life of faith within a community of faith, right? So I laughed when he said that because I completely understood what he meant. And I also laughed because it was actually in my own heart, nervous laughter. Because I personally felt a lot of what he felt. I, too, have felt that it might be better, safer, more life-giving. I'm not sure exactly what, but I'll go with better. I have felt that it might be better to be a free-range Christian than to participate in churches that are too much of a lot of too much of too many things. Like, here's my personal list. Too stuck in the past, too slow, too judgmental, too politically hijacked, Too many committees involved in making very simple decisions. Too committed to protect people in power at the expense of people without any power who've been wounded by the people in power. Too much majoring on ridiculous minors. 
too separated from real people in the real world, and I could go on and on in my list. Yes, I have felt these things. Before I was a pastor, and maybe this shocks you, I have felt these things as a pastor. So look, here's what I'm trying to get at. The fact is that we all have wondered, do we really need church? Really? Do we really need this? Especially, right, if we list, even over the last decades, all of the scandals. There are people, that, uh, books that we've read, Christian leaders, and we thought so highly of them, and they have stumbled into all kinds of sins, sins of which are the most like shameless sins of all, and, it, and over the last year. And so it even adds to the question, do we really need church? There's a, a, a group called Lifeway Research. They're similar to the Barna Research Group. They study trends and issues in the Western church, and they did a social survey. So it's using social science to get this information. And out of it, it revealed the top 10 reasons people ask the question, do we really need church? And out of asking the question, they either want to become a free-range Christian, which might be for the process you're in yourself right now, or do become a free-range Christian, or become what's now classically called a done. You're just done with church. And maybe so done with church, you're also done with Jesus. So here's the top 10 that they came out with. Number one, they got out of the habit. There wasn't really a crisis. It, they just stopped participating. And that was it. And they just didn't ever ask questions about, why did we stop? They just got out of the habit. Number two, they never came back after, interestingly, high school. New life rhythms, going away to college, didn't include church. And then after college, still didn't include church. By the way, this is one of the things that Tara Brown, our youth ministry leader, takes very seriously about somehow still trying to stay in touch with our kids as they graduate from high school. How are they doing in their faith journey because of that? Third, deciding they didn't like the institutional church. Somehow, um, a church organization, the organizational aspects of life in faith, it hijacked the organism of being a thriving communal experience. And they just were like, I just don't even want to try that again. Number four, they were hurt by church. If it were me, and this is, I, I, this is not social science, this is just pastors having coffees with people, but I would say that would probably be number one on the list for most people. This is a big reason. These are people, they've been hurt by leaders, they've been hurt by church people, and they've also been hurt by their own personal inability to deal with conflict in a healthy way. And probably for most, it's the cocktail of their own individual inability to deal with conflict and the church's inability to deal with conflict, and they were hurt. Number five, they couldn't find a church to meet their needs. This, the, the church shopping around, they didn't produce that was something that was a right fit for them. Number six is kind of the other side of number five. They had a need that the church didn't meet. The church didn't have a way to address the need of, I don't know, I'll just guess it'd be like things like probably like kids ministry or youth ministry or a missions team or uh, 12-step ministry, whatever. It, did, it didn't meet. They didn't get what they needed. Number seven, they never felt connected. This is another big one. Uh, the church was too clicky. Um, and also the person themselves involved was stuck in the come close to me but stay away from me dance. Which is very common in our culture now. So many of us are loaded with the shame. And shame wants you to love me. 
But don't get too close to me because I'm uncomfortable in my own skin and I don't even accept myself, right? And so that's very hard to find community when you're in the come close but stay away dance. And meanwhile, the church is clicky. So that combination creates it where people feel like I never felt connected. Number eight, they did not give to the church. This one blew me away when I read it. I'm like, what? They didn't give to the church. That's part of why they just stopped. To me, it's interesting. Here's what I think it means. Remember how Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Meaning if you reverse engineer that, where your heart is, you'll invest your treasures. So I think what this is getting at is that it means they never developed enough of a heart connection to their community of faith to actually participate in the mission of that church through giving to that church. So what it was, was the giving is a symptom of the fact we're just, we don't have a heart connection. Number nine, left when the pastor left or when a pastor left. They were more connected to a pastor, whether they even knew that pastor very much individually at all, but they were more connected to that pastor than they were connected to community. And finally, number 10 was they moved and they never went back to church. This is a big one that's happening right now in the great reshuffle of America. You move away, eh, you know, I still love Jesus. So it's really interesting, isn't it, to look at this and go, huh, interesting how I know for me, I can see myself in a lot of these bullet points in my own faith journey. So today, we're going to continue our New Year study, Deathbed Requests. And what, here's what we're getting at. If people are able... And this is true even before their death, if they're getting their affairs in order before their death, so if their loved ones read this, or right on their deathbed, people tell us what matters most to them when they're dying. And as Jesus faced the cross, he said, he prayed, pleaded in his prayer what mattered most to him out loud in front of his disciples in the passage we're going to study, John chapter 17. And that's why we're calling it deathbed requests. And for all of us who've wondered, which includes me, do we really need church? I think we will be surprised and challenged as Jesus speaks passionately about the church. Not only in today's verses, but actually for the rest of this prayer. For the rest of the next 21 verses. So let's look at John chapter 17 and read starting in verse 6. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost 
except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. This is God's holy, beautiful word. See, no matter what our opinions of Jesus' disciples all banded together as this thing called church, Jesus clearly thinks they matter on his deathbed. In verses 6, 7, and 8, Jesus tells us who and what his church is in his mind. And he tells us that the church is this group who once took part in the world system. They were once totally enmeshed and totally engaged in the world system, but have now been given by the persistent pursuing work of the Holy Spirit. They've been walked right up to the face of Jesus. And then he says this, this is what he also thinks of them, is that these are also people that once they've encountered Jesus, they have gone through this process of progressively understanding the full gravity of who Jesus really is. And it is progressive. It's not like, you know, snap your fingers and you say one prayer at summer camp and then you get it all. It's progressive. And he says they go from this process, from accepting Jesus' words about himself and words about his mission, to then knowing that Jesus did somehow come from God, to then believing he really was, is God from God. That's, that's who he is. That's who the church is to Jesus. And Jesus is saying to us, he isn't concerned about so many of the things that we've come to confuse as church. Like, Jesus would not have sweat at all that a steeple fell over on this building. That's just not material to him. It's like, whoa. That's not what he would have been praying. God, please protect them from their steeples falling over. He is only concerned about a group of people through history who've been delivered by God the Father through the chasing, pursuing work of the Holy Spirit in their life, they've been pursued and brought to the face of Jesus, where they've concluded that Jesus really is from God, that Jesus really is life itself. That's who Jesus thinks is the church, and that's who Jesus pleads for. And then he says this in verse 9, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for them. Does that move you in your heart that Jesus has prayed for us before we ever were even a, a flickering thought in the imaginations of our parents? He's prayed for us. Now, in looking at that, just so we're really, really clear, Jesus is not saying that he doesn't care about the world. That's not what this sentence is saying. Because clearly, throughout the rest of Scripture and the Gospels, even this Gospel, John, some of us know this verse, John 3.16, red letters in John, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave me, the only begotten Son, so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus clearly cares about the world. So that's not what this prayer is saying. What he's saying is that this prayer, the one we're studying, right before he takes the cross, is specifically about his deep concerns for his disciples, the church. And in verses 9 through 12, it tells us what Jesus thinks this band of disciples, his church, ought to be about. And I'll just go through. There's some three things that sort of stand out to me. The first one is this. We ought to be distinct in the world. Verse 9, where he says this. He says, they are yours. They're yours. Now, that sounds like, okay, that's not a big deal. They are yours. Okay, great. But it's actually a huge deal. For Jesus to say, they are yours. 
Jesus' disciples belong to God. They don't belong to themselves. I don't belong to myself. Now, that's a big deal. That makes us distinct in the world. Because let's think really critically and carefully about what are we told in Western culture. In Western culture, we're told, you belong to you. That's one of the big primary emphases of Western thought and religion. You belong to yourself. So you get to determine the way that you're going to live for yourself. You belong to you. Now, that's not how the rest of the world works. That's Western societies. Non-Western societies say you belong to your family. It's a collective within your family, and you belong to what they think and how they vote and how they're supposed to live their lives and what their faith and what their religion is. So you've got the Western society, you belong to you. You've got non-Western society, you belong to your family. And Christianity comes along. Jesus says, you do not belong to you or to your family because you belong to God. And if that is true... That suddenly distinctively redefines how a human being invests their heart, their time, their talent, their treasure, their sexuality, and their power in the world. They are yours, God. Make them distinct in the world. The second thing that Jesus says in this prayer is that he thinks that we ought to be inexplicably attractive. In verse 10, he says this, glory has come to me through them. He expresses this deep desire for his church to showcase the beauty and the glory of Jesus, of himself. Not the beauty and the glory of our, our preaching palaces and our great plans and our amazing preachers and our publications and our politics. That is not what brings Jesus any glory. He's saying that he longs for us to be more than just helpful, admirable people, although that can be a good thing. He is longing for us to be people that make other people wonder when they look at us, what is it about them? What is it about them and why am I left not being able to explain or easily categorize who they are and how they live their lives? What is going on in them? What, how is it that there's something bigger and va- more vast happening in their life? I can't explain it. Jesus says, this is how my church ought to be. Inexplicably attractive. Glory comes to me through them. And the third thing that stands out as I read this is that he wants us to be a united presence. In verse 11, he says, they're going to still be in the world. And I want them to be one as we are one. In the world, one as we are one. As Jesus is, is going to finish his mission on the cross, and he's at the end go through the grave and rise from the grave, and he's going to kill death itself, and he ascends to the Father in heaven so that the Holy Spirit will come and indwell every believer. He says he wants his disciples to be his united physical presence in the world. He's, his physical presence isn't here anymore. We become that. And Jesus asks the Father to guard our journey as we pursue our life in Christ. And he asks that we be communal in sharing one heart and mind as does the Trinity. Literally just this morning, one of the churches here in Santa Cruz, my, my pastoral friend Drew Cunningham texted me and said, hey, our church is going to be praying for you and your church. How can we pray for you? And I just said, hey, pray for me in my grief as I bury my father. And I still, tried, I still got to try to be a pastor too. And he says, we got you. We'll pray for you. 
Another church is praying for me today, praying for us. When you look at everything that's going on here, it sounds like, you can challenge me on this later, but it sounds to me like Jesus thinks deep involvement in the church is fundamental to following him. I think. So here's the point. Jesus wants his church to be his transforming presence in the world. We're, the, we're, we're, we're what remains of his physical presence, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us to be his healing presence in the world. And Jesus' vision, and his vision is stated in Revelation, where it says in the last, one of the last chapters, Behold, I'm making all things new. That's his vision. His mission is go in all the world and make disciples. His vision is do that so that everything gets made new. And so Jesus' vision of making all things new, as crazy as it sounds, and it does sound crazy, is being rendered through people like me. That is nuts. Just ask my wife. But as I, as I do attempt to attach myself to Jesus, I wake up to the reality that I belong to God. I do not belong to myself, which changes my whole identity. It changes the name I have for myself. I grew up with a name in my head of Andy Average. And it changes the name to Andy Catalyst for the King. It changes my name and it changes the story and narrative that I tell myself about myself. And then it turns me into a person that when person, a person encounters me, they begin to wonder, what in the world is it about this guy that makes him hard to explain or categorize for me? And leading me, not into isolation, but into community with you. And so what's crazy is Jesus' vision of I'm going to make all things news as crazy as it sounds is being rendered through me, but not just me. It's also me and you. And that's crazy too. As we gather as a local church to help each other, this is what it's supposed to look like. You help me. I help you. We help each other attach to Jesus and together we wake up to the reality that we belong to God. We do not belong to ourselves, which changes our whole identity and our name and the narrative we tell ourselves about ourselves and our community so that when people encounter our community, they begin to wonder, what is it about these people? They're, they, they, they makes it, they, I can't explain them. I can't categorize them. And then leading me and you in a local church, not just within ourselves, but into community with the whole church of all space and time. Like my buddy Drew, who's praying for our church today and praying for me. That it's not just me, and it's not just me and you. It's also the big capital U.S., us, not USA, us, the church. As we as a local church support and we work with other churches, we help each church body attach themselves to Jesus and the massive collective of the body of Christ, which is the church of all space and time. It doesn't have a limit to location. It doesn't have a limit by time. And the bigger us becomes the transforming presence of Jesus that is very much connected. It's not like, folks, it's not like we as a church, we live our lives, da-da-da-da, and then we die. And then there's no connection between this life. And then all of a sudden we get to experience revelation. And Jesus says, behold, I'm making all things new. And there's no connection. No, it's all connected. It's all connected. How you're living your life now very much is a part of participating in that ultimate end. Jesus specifically pleaded with God the Father on our behalf that we be the transformative healing presence of Jesus. 
not merely consumptive, lingering believers. And that describes a lot of us. Consumptive, lingering believers just consume the gifts of God. And I'm, by the way, I'm not, by saying this, I'm not questioning whether you're saved or not. That's not for me to say. That's up to God's de- definition of who's saved. But what I'm saying is, let's say you're saved. But a consumptive, lingering believer, it just consumes the gifts of God, consumes salvation. Thanks for the forgiveness pass to heaven. And then it consu- they consume space. They consume time. They consume talent. They consume resources and location and experiences and privileges over the span of their lives. And then that's pretty much it. And then they die and they get buried and there you go. But transformative healing believers, they get that there's a bigger thing going on. They know they belong to God. They don't belong to themselves. That's how they make decisions. It's where they live. It's where they buy houses. It's where they send their kids to school. There's a bigger thing going on. And the lives that they live now as God's treasured creation in this world's current state ends up being very connected to the ultimate renewal of everything. How you're living your life now is connected. So here's where this takes us. Believe me, I know there are legitimate stories among you and out there of hurt and loss. Like even I'm living my own story 30 years ago, my dad, who had served a church for 20 years, sort of kind of got elbowed out by dysfunctions of his inability to deal with conflict and their inability to deal with conflict. And there's hurt. And we're getting to do my dad's memorial in that church where I lost my hometown when they elbowed him out. It's still, to me, a miracle that I don't hate the church. And so I have my own stories. You have your stories. There are legitimate stories among us of hurt and loss and frustration and dysfunction leading people who love Jesus to become free-range Christians, de-churched Christians, done Christians, ums. This is the new big one of like, eh, I just kind of stopped during the, the pandemic. Um, I don't know where I go. It leading to all of that. So I want to say, all of those stories are legitimate, And yet, for all those real stories, Jesus hasn't leaned over the guardrail of heaven and said, you know what? Forget it. I take back everything I prayed in John chapter 17. You know what? You guys are all just blowing it with this whole church discipleship thing. Forget it. He hasn't done that. I will admit to you it amazes me at moments that Jesus hasn't done such a thing. Given how badly his ecclesia, which is a Greek word for church, has botched being his healing presence in all the world. All throughout church history, right up till today, to this moment. It amazes me. But Jesus hasn't taken back his deathbed prayer from John chapter 17. And we got to grapple with that. And that means two things. Number one, it means that as far as Jesus is concerned, his plan and his passion for us... I don't know why he picked us, believe me, but he did. His plan and his passion for us to be the healing as individuals, communal, and in the wider corporate presence, to be that presence in the world, it still is intact. He has not taken it back. And we have to grapple with that. And number two, it means that that reality leaves us with the choice 
to either detach or attach to an ecclesia somewhere. An entity that Jesus created and is pleading with God the Father about. So, going back to what the point was, Jesus wants his church to be his healing, transformative, physical presence in the world. And what this is calling you and I to is to deeply attach yourself within a healthy local church. A healthy local ecclesia, which is the Greek word, not because when we think of church, right? We think of steeples that either stay up or fall over or committees and people who like to abuse power or what, what or good thing, whatever it is, you know, potlucks, love potlucks or whatever, whatever that is. That is not, ecclesia just simply means a group of people rallied around a cause, a person or a thing. And that, you can be an ecclesia of Apple computers, but we are an ecclesia of Jesus. So to deeply attach yourself within a healthy local church. Now read that sentence carefully. Let me be clear. I am not appealing very specifically. I, 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 let me say it this way. I am appealing that you specifically attach to a healthy church. Of course, move along from an unhealthy, dysfunctional church that in any way has lost its way from a pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Move along. Find something else. And of course, do not embrace the false premise. I run into this all the time. The false premise. Like, even think through your thinking a little more critically, okay? So, of course, don't embrace the false premise that says, I had a very unhealthy church experience, which equals all churches are unhealthy. Don't embrace that false premise. That's just a false premise. Just because you had, yes, it's legit. A bad experience does not equal all churches are unhealthy. And also, of course, it means we're not looking for a perfect church filled with perfect people because that doesn't exist. Why do you think Jesus made churches? Because the world is filled with broken people in need of redemption in a place where they can work out the ramifications of their redemption. So it's always going to be broken. So understand the fact that because Jesus has not taken back his deathbed request for his church in John 17, then there has to be by God's provision, some kind of healthy community fellowship of believers somewhere within my reach. They're not perfect, but they're healthy enough that Jesus wants us to participate in. So what we need to do is to more deeply attach ourselves to a healthy church, to move past our own dance. Come close to me. I want community, but don't get too close. To move past that to being believers who are like, I'm going to have the step of courage where I'm going to know you, and I'm going to let you know me. To know and be known. Now, I'll be honest, this week, as I hit this paragraph, I was going to start a list of bullet points. Of like, okay, here's all my suggestions of how you can more deeply get involved at this church. And the Holy Spirit was like, mm, 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 stop. And I was like, well, why? Well, what's the deal? And I started praying. And I sense from the Holy Spirit that if I were to give you a list of bullet points, I would be giving you a sales pitch as opposed to an appeal for you to listen to the movement of the Holy Spirit inside of you as the Holy Spirit is poking you right now. So I'll do that. Let me simply appeal to you to listen to the Holy Spirit in this moment and act on how the Spirit is asking you to somehow move past the come close, stay away thing to the know and be known 
sing more deeply. I'm going to invite the band to come on up, um, which is kind of like the Hughes family band with the adoption of Todd Kitsch, which is kind of cool. Um, Who knows? Watch for them on Spotify. Um, But as they come up, I want to give you this quote. This is from the towering theologian, Adam Nye, will give me a big hug after this service because I quoted him, Karl Barth. Karl Barth, he said this about the church, and I'll put it up on the screen. The church exists to set up in the world a new sign, which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts it in a way which is full of promise. That's an awesome visionary picture of what the church is supposed to look like in real time right now. We are here to set up in this broken world a new sign of a new way and a new life that's not the same as the world's own manner. Like our, our, our communication of the gospel message is like, look how much we're like you. We're cool like you too. Here, follow Jesus. That's not our message. In fact, our new way and new life, it contradicts the world's own manner, but it contradicts it in a way that is loaded with hope and filled with promise. Jesus wants his church to be his physical, healing, transformative presence in the world. So let's all find a way. I mean, I have to believe, as I was studying this this week, the Holy Spirit's prompting all of us to some way more deeply embed ourselves in a church. And if you think like, hey, oh, he's just trying to convince me to get more involved in faith community church. Well, don't come to faith community church, but find a church. Or maybe it is this church to more deeply embed yourself in the know and be known. And together, what does Jesus have for us? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit. Look, I, I confess I've had my own moments through all those years, God, that I fought you. And you were trying to sign for me to serve you in the church. And I was like, nope, do not want to do that. Church is too much of a lot of things I don't like. And I've been wounded by the church. I've been wounded by church people. And as a pastor, I've been wounded by church people. So I have my story. We have our story. And yet, here we are. You're not done with your church. You still look at your bride and you think we're lovely. The most beautiful and amazing entity that you could have created and died for. So, Father, help us to more deeply embed ourselves in a community that's, that's trying. It's trying to have a pure and simple devotion of Jesus, knowing we need that. And that, that community needs us. Help us in this endeavor, Father. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior, who prayed this prayer over us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.